You're listening to Crookshanks and Atticus Presents, a podcast on books and reading created by the book clubs at Genzano FCJ College. Well, good evening, everyone. We might make a start a little bit earlier. Um, we've got most people here, we think. So So my name's Karen Jeb. I'm the principal of the college. I'm just here to warmly welcome you to the evening. And uh, before we, we do anything, I, I think it's important that we acknowledge the land for which we're standing on, the um, the Wurundjeri people are traditional owners, so we acknowledge um, their ancestors, past and present, and uh, and respect the land for which we're we're um, enjoying at this particular time. So it's a very exciting that I welcome you here. So I welcome our school community, our students, and our parents and our staff, but also welcome the wider community. It, it is a, an honour to have you here at. Janet Sarno College and in our junior library. Um, so tonight's event is a, um, a continuing partnership that we've had with the, the kids bookshop. I, th I believe it's the fourth year. This is my first year at the college so I'm going by what people have told me. Um, it's the fourth year here in this Grange Hill uh, library and uh, it's featured some very talented picture book authors and illustrators over the time. So. Um, it is wonderful to welcome uh, everybody here and have this event here, um, particularly for our students and our parents and our staff, um, because it is very inspiring and anything that we can do to inspire our students to read and, and uh, to explore the literary world is really important for us. Um, so we do want to promote it strongly. We've got two weeks called Lit Fest, so it's a a partnership with our English department and our library department um, with our students and their, their experience. Two weeks of wonderful things with authors and illustrators and a wonderful program. So we're, we're delight, delighted to host this one. The other thing is um, promoting Australian books and Australian illustrators is something we're quite passionate about. Um, and so it is a delight to have Lee Hobbs here this evening at Janet Sana and we will warmly welcome you to our school. And so I also welcome Kristen, who is uh, going to introduce Lee and, and do an interview with us. So warmly welcome and thank, thank you, you for being here. Is that, is that, thank you, Karen. Is that working? Yep. Okay. Well, uh, on behalf of the Kids Bookshop, um, I'd really like to welcome you all here this evening. We are here um, for a very important reason, that is because Lee Hobbs is currently our Children's Laureate and he is, um, has been appointed, anointed even. As the Children's Laureate on behalf of the Australian Children's Laureate Alliance and uh, we're very pleased to be working with them and Genizano this evening to bring Lee Hobbs here uh, for tonight. Lee has been to Brisbane, he's been to Perth, he's, he's travelling the world, he's travelling the globe. Tonight he's in Kew. Relax, enjoy it. I'd also like to welcome Books Illustrated here this evening who have some magnificent prints from uh, a variety of prints from... Uh, What's your name? Lee's Books. And, uh, and I've already ordered mine. <laughs> so um, do have a look at those. They are absolutely um, gorgeous. So thank you for being here and thank you, Genesano College. I want to start at... Lee Hobbs, the young reader. Tell us about what you read as a young person. And were books an important part of your life as a, as a young person, Lee? Um, I didn't re I actually... The books that I can remember were Ping and Noddy. I, I had a Noddy collection. But the books that I really loved were the Reader's Digest uh, annual things. They used to have them different sizes. Uh, oh, heavens, that's what I'm reading, look. Oh, oh there I am. <laughs> look, here's my naughty collection. And I never ever looked through that telescope. But that, that, I love books like that. I love books about history. I think my history and facts and things, especially history, because I think I had such a, uh, a mad imagination that reading the truth, reading what was perceived as history, I just uh, projected a adventures and things onto it. And, 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 and with um, uh, fiction books, I had trouble, still do, remembering characters and plots and oh, things. Oh, do you? Mm. And were books 
I had a book. Do, do you all have a bed with a bookshelf like that? I did. Oh, yeah. Yes, wasn't it? It just brought back so many memories. Um, with the light. Well, <laughs> mm. That's right, with the light. Um, my dad made mine. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lee, tell us whether books in the house were books an important oh, yeah. part of the household. And, and yeah. Yes, my dad, who's still alive and he's 92, he's spending his 90th birthday hunting through bookshops. Dad. Dad's passion of books, and in fact, there were two things, the first two things I remember my father teaching me, because he's pretty strict, were how to turn the pages, is that right? I don't really need that, really. No. How to turn the, do I don't need it? Okay. How to turn the pages of a book, because I remember he said, this is how you turn the pages of a paperback book, you know, you cradle a spine and turn it from the top, you know, and then, because he loved these books and treasured them and is extremely well read. The other thing, you know, table manners, which has nothing to do with tonight, but that's... So books have, books have always been uh, a presence in my life, from the word go, by Dad, yeah. and classical music. Ah. And um, so I was going to ask you about your cultural, yeah. you know, experience as a young person too. You grew up in the country. We go oh, to the next slide. The first oh, was it? Okay. And... And here's Lee with his sister and friend. Well, that friend is Diane. There's me. That's my sister. That friend there is Diane. She was Orville. Now she's Diane Johnson. She owns the Hill of Content bookshop. And, she, oh. and she's the buyer for Colin's books. We had dinner the other night. So it's, that's a fabulous thing. You know, and this is in Bairnsdale. And we went, Dad was a teacher and we were sent there. And I remember the first morning. Mum in tears, she hated being up there with away from her family and that, you know, Dad being a teacher. And there was a knock at the door and it was Diane's mum coming over to introduce herself and say welcome to Bairnsdale. So it, it's gorgeous really to think 60 years later or 50 something years, we're chums and we're involved in the book business. And so um, the love of art and an artistic kind of um, input into your life uh, where did that come from? I just loved drawing. And once again, everything cultural came from Dad, really. Not that he, was, he wasn't pretentious, but he, he loved art and music and history and stuff. Um, uh, and I just loved drawing. Mm. Um, I loved drawing. And in fact, I only have ever had two ambitions. And it's been, I've been extremely fortunate as a little kid that age, younger than that, the kid in the bed, all I ever wanted to do was to be an artist when I grew up and to go to England. I had a, a, an absolute... If I was a, an indigenous person and talked about a love of the land, that's what I had for England. And I had it from the age of five. It was unexplainable, really. Shaped by the books that you were reading and so the history? Sort of, because I remember the first, in my mind, the first... Uh, Thing that I had in my mind that was like my imagination was Robin Hood and King mm. Richard. Because Robin Hood was on TV, you know, Richard mm. Green. Mm. I loved that show. <laughs> and that, that formed my... It, it just triggered my imagination. So I, 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 I was always too busy drawing and just sitting like that thinking about things than to, to in fact read children's books. Right. When did you first go to England? When what was your? When I was 23. I've been 31 times. 31 times. <laughs> that is a bit. You must be going a couple of times a year, Lee. Yes, I do. Yeah. Now. <laughs> I won't. This the laureate has knocked that this year. <laughs> but, uh, next year, um, I think they're cooking up something where I go and meet the other laureates. Fantastic. <laughs> um, we'll talk about travel a little bit later because I'm interested in how travel has informed you as an illustrator. But if we could just go to the next slide, Graham, I want to start with this. All right. Because I'm not sure how many people realise that Lee Hobbs painted the, the Sydney Lunar Park face. No, I didn't. No? I, I worked out the colours for the Melbourne. Right. Oh, right. Okay. 40, 30 years after... I worked in here when I was 20. I had a job as, like, Martin Sharp and other artists worked there. But right. I don't want to preempt okay. your questions. No, no, that's fine. Um, that's so after art do. school, my first job was at Herbert Adams Cake Factory as a cleaner. <laughs> well, you know, I just did that. And uh, but I it used to be in Clayton Road, I think, but I closed the factory down. That was because I hosed a Swiss roll down the drain, which blocked it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I'd, I'd met this woman called Margaret Fink. She'd seen a film of mine when I was at art school. 
and said, when you finish art school, come to Sydney, you can live in the house. And Leona, anyway, so I went and lived in the, their house, a fabulous mansion in Wallara, and her husband owned Luna Park, and he said, come and get have a job. Um, and he said, here, I was 21, he said, you can do the merry-go-round, just like that. So 21-year-old, I had to work out the colours for the merry-go-round. It was 100 years old then, it was this fabulous thing. And all the blokes that worked in Luna Park were in their 60s, my age and up now. But they were the actual men that had built the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It was just fantastic. And there was one bloke called Jack Richards. They were all real rough. Just it was a real rough. But underneath they were gentlemen. They wore ties in and hats. We're talking about 1974, September 74. They carried Gladstone bags. And they'd all get changed into their boiler suits, but at the end of the day, scrub up and put their tyres back on and go out the park. But this particular bloke, Jack Richards, I mean, I was 21 and he was 67 then. And I worked out that he was born in 1909, the same year that Errol Flynn was. And I said to Jack, you know, because he said he'd worked in, in uh, New Guinea, did you, did you know Errol Flynn? He said, I can't repeat the words that he said. <laughs> you know, that sounds like... And he'd actually worked with Errol. Errol Flynn was a rubber plantation manager in 1929 when he was 20 and Jack had worked with him. Wow. Brought in all these photos. He hated him. Wow. But the park was... <laughs> well, he, there were all sorts of... But um, the park was full of these really fabulous characters that had actually built the Harbour Bridge because the Lunar Park site was the work site for the Sydney Harbour Bridge and when it was finished in 1933, a bloke bought a lunar park from Adelaide, shipped it round and they re-erected it and they stayed on site. Wow. They were really great blokes. They're all gone now, of course. Mm. Yeah. Now I'm their age. <laughs> did, you in, did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy Sydney? Because... I, yeah, well, I, I loved it because I ended up living in Margaret. Yeah, that's Holly's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know she was an artist. I only knew her from... Because I loved Dobell's paintings as a kid because of his lovely loose... And... Um, I left, wanted to leave Margaret Fink's house and be independent, so um, Margaret is the woman that produced my brilliant career. So anyway, I knew Margaret's nanny, kid's nanny, Kathy, and we're mates, and she knew a bloke that lived in Margaret Ollie's house, so I got this, I ended up living there. Margaret Ollie lived, oh, well, I don't know why I'm pointing to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, Margaret lived here. Um, <laughs> Margaret Ollie lived, it was uh, 48 Duxford Street in Paddington, and Margaret on a corner of a lane, and Margaret lived... Uh, in the hat factory, which has now been reconstructed somewhere in New South Wales, I think. And she painted there and I shared the terrace house with a number of... But I actually nearly killed her one day. But I, the, telling you these anecdotes is just dragging on. <laughs> but it was over dishes. It was a domestic fight. And I, upstairs I said, I'm not doing the damn dishes and anymore, you know, and threw them out because this bloke, John and I used to argue. And not realising that Margaret Ollie oh. was stretching her canvases down the line. She was a funny old thing. <coughs> Mind you, she was 50 then, so she wasn't at all. But this has all shaped you as an artist, who you are as an artist, <laughs> hasn't it? They're fairly significant. Well, not, not, the, death, not the throwing out of the... Being, that's as close as I came to being a murderer. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's not. Next slide, please, Grant. <laughs> Tell us about the, oh, there I am, his long skinny oh, Lee in the 70s. Well, it is 40 years ago. So there I am. So that's what I did at Luna Park. This is a big block. They're at the powerhouse now. And um, I, I got sick of working out the colours for the merry-go-round because it was such a beautiful thing, unbelievably carved. Um, uh, and there are all sorts of political things. And back then, yeah, it was just too big a job, you know, for a, a young bloke to be giving orders to these craftsmen. So I said, look, can I do these? So I did that so that I felt there was something at the park that I'd been responsible for. Hmm. Um, look, it was wonderful because I'd catch the bus from Paddington down five ways to Circular Quay and then the ferry under the Harbour Bridge to Luna Park. I mean, what a... Fantastic Incredible location for a bloke that age, and yeah. Sydney was a pretty, pretty naughty place back then. <laughs> so it was, it was fabulous, but really, I was too young and inexperienced, in a sense, to know how to work with, because there's a real certain sort of way those blokes work. You know, you don't talk about certain things, and you know, I didn't know that. Mm. Right, but that's how you learn, isn't it? Yes, it is. And Lee, um, let's talk about the space that you work in. 
Because now let's oh, talk about is. this because. Um, oh look, that's my blue healer. One of them. Oh, it's a great shot. Tell us about how you like to work. This is your studio. Well, I've got a drawing board. I was going to bring it tonight, but um, and Dad made that for me when I was about six. And I've literally done every drawing in every one of those books on it, not for sentimental reasons, but just because it's sort of. I love the, it just suits and I can focus, so I could actually set up anywhere. I don't need a terrific studio like that, that's in a way. Um, so that's how I work. So I get up very early. Um, I'm, I'm really not interested in sleep. I find it, no, truly, I, I, I need Fernergan to sleep um, because I, oh, oh, isn't, no, it's Fernergan, it's just the baby. <laughs> 25 mil I had. <laughs> don't tweet that, Kim. <laughs> Yeah, so I can't. I, I get up early in the morning. I wake up just before six, and I get up and either go for a swim or take the dogs out for a walk and have breakfast and read the paper. And I'm out here as soon as possible. I just love it. You know, I'm, I feel terribly lucky to be able to. And I find because I I I can admit in this intimate space that I am a, a, a I do fret and I do get anxious. Um, but I find as soon as I start drawing, everything sort of comes into line. It's glorious. In, fa in fact, I've got a dear friend called Susan Johnson, who's a, a novelist, and we were talking about, we went to the pub recently, we were talking about that feeling when an artist or a writer actually gets in the zone. And at the same time, we're trying to find a word, at the same time we said rapture. Um, and that's what it is. Right. It sounds sort of a bit it's a, like a high but it is, it's a, It is. That's why I've never been interested in drugs because yeah. any sort of drug, apart from chocolate, and, you know, <laughs> simply impedes my uh, uh, the the wonderful feeling of actually sitting and creating. Mm. You know, mm. I mean, that's. I don't mean that in a pretentious way. No, you know. that's. Mm. But that's incredible to hear. Actually, it's very yeah, interesting well. to hear. When did you decide? that it was um, illustrating children's books that you wanted to do? Well, it was thank you to Anne James. The two women who have uh, had most influence on my life as far as my work is Anne over here, who I was incredibly fortunate to meet, um, and Erica Wagner, my editor, because it was I'd never even thought of doing kids' books. And Anne, when we started to work together in 1984, I remember her getting a package, and it was an overseas edition of A Pet for Mrs Arbuckle, which she <laughs> did the beautiful drawings for. And uh, uh, it was Anne that sort of suggested, you know, get in touch with this person and that. And so that's how it started. And eventually, uh, through five rejections of old Tom, I got into, met Erica Wagner who, at Penguin then. Mm. That's been marvellous. 24 years ago. Yeah. Actually, we asked Erica if she would come along tonight to do this in conversation, but sadly she's in Sydney oh, right. tonight, and uh, so you're stuck with me. Sorry, no, but well. but we love Erica because there's nothing like that relationship, is there, between an editor and a, and an author or illustrator? Extremely fortunate. I have had the experience of working with an editor um, where we didn't have a connection, and it was literally like a train being derailed. Hang on, when you tweet, does that mean it's all going out word for word? My perception. All right, okay. No, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, good. No, no, it, so when you do, conversely, when you do have uh, someone that you have a mm. terrific rapport with, see, Erica and I, work, all these characters that, that I've done have been done with Erica, apart from Fiona the Pig, who is done with Julie Watts, and she's gorgeous and mm. another brilliant, brilliant editor. And she was right for Fiona, but not right for old Tom, because she didn't sort of quite understand him. But Fiona, she was perfect. And in fact, Fiona, I, I'm really proud of that book, because it's a classic kid's book as far as having an art. It's just that Fiona, I don't connect with. What was the question? No, that's good. That, no, I was just talking about that relationship, and you've answered it, you really. You cut me off. No. No, no, you can, if the, question, the answers get too long. Um, we don't Let want people falling asleep. <laughs> no one's falling asleep. Let's talk about old Tom. Oh, old Tom. Yeah, let's talk about old Tom. Where is he? Look, he's all through that, oh, um, that studio. I adore old Tom, and obviously a lot of people adore old Tom. 
where did old Tom come from? How did he uh, evolve? I think I'd been, he'd been percolating. When Anne and I worked at materials production in the 80s, which is the education department magazines, it's now defunct. I drew a cat character for, uh, and I don't like cats, I like dogs, but I drew this cat character for a magazine. And uh, I don't know whether it was called old Tom. He didn't have a black eye. But anyway, I, I started illustrating other people's books, but I couldn't really identify with the characters. And I didn't like the goody two-shoes thing. And so yeah, I came yeah. up with old Tom. I mean, I don't know whether you... Have you got the first drawing where uh, yeah, he looks like a gangster? Yeah, next slide, please, Graeme. Yeah, right. That's yeah. how he for, looked at first. Yeah. <laughs> I love so, that. So, yeah, that's how he... Uh, all these draw. That's in the uh, National Library or something now. All these drawings are in there. But, um, so what happened is I did a mock-up and sent it to different publishers and... Um, oh, no. Someone, Rita Sharp, who I was illustrating books through at Oxford, said, why don't you write your own book? And um, so I came up with old Tom and did a mock-up. I don't. I think Rita was nervous about me doing the text. I think she felt that didn't quite get because the way I look at it, the text oughtn't echo what the picture says. And I love working the text is something often quite different. So I think she was a little bit uncomfortable with that because I was untried. So I said no, and I went out and sent it to five different people and got some really rude knockbacks. As I said somewhere recently, all of these knockbacks are now in the national line. Are they? I, I shouldn't do that because that's not nice to do. But they are. Well, I wanted everything. It's in the public's interest. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, but finally, this I heard from Penguin uh, that this woman, Erica Wagner, or Erica Irving then, uh, would like to meet you. So we went out there and looked at some pictures and Julie Watts said, you two go in there and make a book. And that's how it started. So the first one, can we go back, Graham? Sure. Yeah, that's the first book. And uh, old Tom, uh, yeah. So we had to find our audience, really. But and so they were actually they started off as little kind of chapter books mm. um, with illustrations. So not a picture book, not in that traditional no. format of a picture well, book. No one really knew where to pitch them. Of course, kids are clever enough. They knew, mm. you know. Um, well, kids are in. I find kids fascinating. They are intuitive innately funny, uh, you know, all, this is almost not a generalisation. They're innately funny and the people underestimate them. I can't stand picture books that patronise kids. Mm. You know, they don't need all the information. You know. no. Kids love inserting their own something. And that's what I've always done. Because where Erica and I connect is that neither of us are clever in a certain way, in a certain sort of brainy way, like as in an intellectual, because I'm not a theorist. Um, but we do things innately, mm. and that's why it works, because sometimes, you know, I'll say, I just don't know what what should go with this, and she'll say something completely daggy. Mm. So there are a couple <laughs> of lines that she actually put, you know, the daggy ones. <laughs> but one thing worth telling you is that what kids... I don't know what pictures you've got, but... Keep going, Graham, please. Top. What have we got after Next this? One. Oh, yeah, they're not... Have we got any black and white ones? Uh, maybe maybe not. not. No, no, it doesn't matter. Um, the whole thing about the old Tom books is that... And this is my irritation with the Children's Book Council, is that they're not... They're well, I'm sorry if you're CBC members, but the point is that they're not worthy because they're funny initially. The, the value in the kids, the value I'm convinced that the kids see in them is that these are characters that they can engage with. The old Tom books are love stories. They're about the love between a mother and a son. I found that out, uh, found out initially that it was about a mother and a son because of my mother, because we'd fought for years. You know, as soon as I went to art school, she said, you know, you've grown your hair, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't walk on that side of the, wouldn't walk on the same side of the street with you. So we argued for years. And eventually I got to the point where um, I thought, well, I've got to make peace. So I thought, I'm going to dedicate a book to, an old Tom book to mum. You know, even though she was, you know, I rang her up and I thought, there's going to be a great teary, oh, darling, you know, great. You know, I said, mum, you know, we saw each other. I never didn't love her. Um, you know, I'd give her a kiss and all that. But, um, 
Anyway, when I rang her up and said, Mum, I want to dedicate an old Tom book to you, and I waited for the tears, and, uh, and all I heard was, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> then, then I was furious. And then when I rang my sister, Jenny said, well, what do you expect? Mum has looked through the old Tom book and she's recognised all the furniture. <laughs> so I suddenly thought, oh my God, there's the standard lamp, the stripe. Yeah. And I suddenly realised that it was about Mum and I. And this is the thing, that old Tom is a seven-year-old boy. I, I've never, ever mentioned the word cats, cat, in the books at all. They are about the love between a boy and a mother. Any bloke in here knows, and those of you who are mothers, know that there's a point where boys, well they did in my generation, they break away from their mums. They try to, it's around between seven and ten. You know, if you get you used to get kissed by your mum and you'd be embarrassed and you try and be a little man and all that. And the heartbreaking thing is, underneath you still love your mum as much as ever. But so, I don't know what it is, it's a thing that you breathe, anyway, so there's friction, and that's what the books are about. Mm. So when you see, you know, and also, with this one here, shall I stop? No, keep going. Right. With picture books, my, my thing is that, that um, the first page of a picture book is when the kids decide whether they're going to enter your world, which means engage, or not. And so... I have to, like doing a pitch, I have to, I assume that no one knows these characters before. So I have to basically set up in pictures and words the relationship. And if you look at this, this is what I love about kids, they can, they tell me. This has Angela doing the housework, walking on, looking at us, the reader, as if to say, look what I have to put up with. <laughs> now the text though introduces the friction between the characters, the dilemma that she's facing. The kid couldn't care less. Look, <laughs> Angela Throckmorton loved old Tom, but bringing him up was hard work. He liked to relax and never help around the house. So there's a bit of a twist there, which is the Australian way, that we don't, you know what I mean, you, you, you don't go overboard with your compliments. And I found that with Mum, she'd sort of say, you know, the worst thing you could do in my parents' eyes is big note yourself, which I think is a real Australian thing, and not a bad one, in fact. Anyway, you must be exhausted already, so I'll stop it. And you know, my thing about the CBC, it's not against them, in a sense. It's a frustration because I feel that, that this is the whole thing about humour in books. Because Morris Gleitzman and I talk about this. That worthy causes don't have to be cased in literal um, explanations. Because I don't believe I'm here to preach to a kid. You know, kids get enough of that. Um, and my way, you know, I, I never set out to write issues books, but what I've found is that, that even though some people think that what I do is subversive, and that's not exactly little Bo Peep, <laughs> they do in fact, I can tell you at the risk of sounding daggy, come from a good heart, and I'm a terrible softy, a terrible softy. And I feel uh, an absolute responsibility to the kids, my readers, to be fair income with them. Um, you know, I'm ho you know, I don't even do it consciously, but somehow it, I think it comes out. It's hard to sort of talk seriously like that when you're looking at that. <laughs> Lee, um, we're still on old Tom for a minute. Yep. You talk about um, Angela and old Tom's relationship being like um, your mother and you. Is old Tom you? I mean, we talk, Morris talks, a lot of those authors talk about their characters being them as 11-year-old children or 12-year-old children. Is old Tom is utterly endearing, but terribly, terribly naughty. Was that you? No, I wasn't. I thought I was a good boy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did. I wasn't exactly a goody two-shoes, but I was never, you know, I, Mum and Dad were pretty, Dad, Mum was hopeless, she just laughed, but Dad was pretty strict. You know, he said, now look, this is, you know, I'll give you something to cry about. And he never hit, you know, the old Australian thing. Um, and I, ne I simply don't know what it's like to not be loved. No. And mm. I, I was thinking on the way here, connected with all this, 13 years ago I went on the John Fane, because I used to teach his son at uni high, 13 years ago I went on the John Fane show, and it was when Red Simons was his offsider. Mm. And John was talking seriously to me about the books, because his son Jack loved them. And his son Jack was a real old time. 
But Red Simons was trying to bait me. And I remember Mum and Dad were listening to the listening to the wireless, that shows how listening to the radio. I knew they were listening and, and uh, Red Simons butted in and I remember him saying, Oh, you must have had really weird parents and a really weird upbringing. And it was like an epiphany because I would have been fifty then. And I my first primal response was to think, uh oh, I've got to respond to this in a way where I sound, you know, tough and cool. And then something else kicked in and I thought, I'm actually a 50-year-old man. My parents are still alive. And I said, no, in fact, I simply don't know what it's like mm. not to be loved. Mm. Isn't that a beautiful My thing to be were, able to say? It was an ordinary uh, 1950s, early 60s uh, childhood. But I never, ever had a moment of feeling unloved. Mm. And it was like, oh. You know, I got mm. that off my chest. Mm. And it, Red Science backed off. It was really funny. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Mum was in tears. Oh. But, <laughs> but still, she wouldn't let At last. <laughs> At last, she's in tears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, right, cool. Um, let's talk about character. We've talked about old Tom. We're going to um, flick on to... We're going to flick... Part, I was going to show that, that oh, little... I, oh, that's the oh, do you? Oh, good, well... I, you can ask me about that. No, well, I... No, let's keep kids going. Kids love that. No, yeah. No, kids love okay. Kids. I was going to play that, but we've ha we're having trouble with yeah, the, the link. No, don't follow. But it was. I've only seen three. I inserted it in there because I thought it was a um, quite a good um, little animation mm. that that revealed old Tom as being the kind of naughty naughty That's character that he was. That's a big regret of mine. I, I didn't behave well when they made that. I was still teaching, and it was the only character I've, I'd ever invented. So he was like my baby, and um, I was really stressed you know mm. um, I hadn't created horrible Harry so it was like giving away something and and really I should have relaxed you know I just focused on what I thought was wrong rather than thinking this is great the kids all love it which they do mm. you know? let's but talk anyway. about horrible Harriet then thanks Graham I used to teach her it, I was going to say, <laughs> where yeah. has horrible yeah. Harriet Preston come from? Tech. <laughs> Preston Tech. It's Susan Lamarca. No, <laughs> no, we're joking, Susan. I, oh, hang on now. <laughs> <laughs> I did teach you. Yeah, right. Tell us about horrible Harriet and where where she came from. Horrible Harriet came about because I didn't want to. I, you know, you never. I never really remember where they come from, but in a sense. But I remember thinking, I need to have a character other than. Old Tom. I don't want to just be a one one character bloke. And uh, I actually love doing girl characters. Mm. The girl characters are the ones that I because you know I grew up with Ronald Searle and some Trinians and all that. And there's something about naughty girls. Even when I taught at Preston Tech, they were, there were some shockers. I couldn't repeat, <laughs> you know. And their mothers would sometimes come in the class saying, "Why did you confiscate my daughter's uh, radio?" You know, and then throw something through. Them. Um, <laughs> But there was something perversely... See, I still remember there were three horrible girls, and I remember their names. Doxy Fodiatis, Tibby Kalpakis, and Angela Tamachio. Oh, did they cause me hell. And they, but in a way, when I look back, I sort of liked it in a way. And I realised that this is the two um, thing that... You know what I can... See, I've thought about it enough. What I love about it, I think women and, let's say, girls have a real rough time of it. And I often thought, you know, if these... I love their strength of character and their bolshy personalities. The problem was it was aimed in a negative way. It wasn't directed constructively because I thought if only these kids somehow had, I don't know, teachers or parents that could sort of say, keep that bolshy thing, but let's make something with mm. it or go out and build something, you know, they should never have gotten rid of tech schools, because they could have, um, or in fact that's where I met them. But um, that's where she sort of came from, she's got that personality. And, you know, I've met a couple of teachers that have been really horrible about her. Really? Uh, oh, in yes. what way? Well, I was the breakfast speaker at uh, Somerset Festival a number of years ago, and I got up to... I remember this. Start. You, you, I the, was there. And Myron and the Sinker. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, um, I stood up to start my breath, breakfast talk. And uh, I'd been talking to this terrific bloke, Myron Lysenko, mm. lives down here. And uh, we, we chummed up a bit. And what happened was, uh, as I stood up, a woman came up and said, oh, you're Lee Hobson. I thought, oh, 
a fan. <laughs> you know, modestly, you know, one. And, uh, <laughs> so I was going to make the most of it, you know, with your like autographs and that. And they were waiting for me to talk. And uh, I extended my hand, you know, as one should. And uh, she didn't even put her hand up. She said, I hate your books. And I won't have them in my library. And especially Horrible Harry. And I, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And I remember the, the cold. I think I was going to faint. Because I was, you know, hyped up about doing the talk. The cold started going up my hand. But Myron, like an old gentleman, he stood in front and said, Madam, you've said enough. Because she was coming in, backed her into a seat. It was fantastic. It was... I never forgot him doing that. But those sorts of things... In retrospect, I don't mind them happening, you know, because it does mean that you empathise with, you know, people that are a bit sick. I mean, she's... <laughs> but she, she had, as it turned out, she drew underpants in white hat. Remember, Anne? She was the one that drew white, uh, un white out underpants on animals that were naked in kids' books. <laughs> I can't say any more because you might know. She's very unusual. <laughs> it was just—it was completely what a inappropriate behaviour. <laughs> what a sweetie! Well, we need a book Should about her. Let's talk about Fiona the pig, because oh, we love Fiona, and and Fiona's a really good role model, isn't she? She is. In fact, this I went to. Uh, I went to Alice Springs and Fiona was, I was thrilled to bits because with the gay women uh, community in uh, Alice Springs, they adored her because they saw her as a bolshy little independent strong little girl that really went against any sort of cliche. She loved, just happened to love pink and having tea parties. Mm. I mean other people that were sort of limited in their thinking. I remember one woman being quite strident saying, well, it should have been a boy um, dressed in pink. You know, but I can't, I don't know. Anyway, no, but I, I, I felt very fondly for her. How, how did Fiona the pig come to you? Like, Because when I went to Penguin that first day, I had a couple of pictures of Fiona the pig. And uh, Julie Watts said, oh, I love that one. I don't know, that one looks a bit scary. That was old time. <laughs> and Julie, bless her heart, waited eight years for, you know, to, yeah. for me to do Fiona. Yeah, we love Fiona. She's a fabulous editor. And Mr Badger. Oh, well... Oh, oh sorry, did you want to no, say anything about Fiona? No, 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 you can... No, that's all. Mr Badger? I had a thing about Mr Badger today. Oh, my, yeah. Oh, did London. you? Mm. Yes, yeah, so I... What's the thing about well, Mr Badger I from a, London? I a, a wonderful... Oh, it sounds boastful. Um, uh, sounds two interesting. Two fabulous uh, reviews from London today and last week about this book, Mr Badger. Great. I can't read them out. I can't tell you because it sounds immodest. Oh, this is not the night so to be immodest. So you'll have to see them on a, some kind of blog. I'll put them oh, on a blog. That's, um, okay, I, I'm kind of Better moving. Better than Shakespeare. No, that didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming. That just slipped out. Graham was throwing his... <laughs> <laughs> Graham's fault. Stop. Everything's Graham's fault. I keep telling him that. Um, yeah, but I can, can I tell you about Mr Badger? Yeah. How are we going to Yeah. Um, what happened was there's this terrific person I know in uh, England called Andrea Reese, who started out as a, free, well, a freelance publicist. And when I did Old Tom's Holiday and that, Little Hare paid her in England to, when I was there, take me to bookshops and do events. Now she, she's high up. She is the editor of a magazine called Book for Keeps and she runs the Oxford Literary Festival, you know, the kids thing, which I've been in a few times, and has got me into the Cheltenham Literary Festival over there, and also got me to do The Guardian, How to Draw Big Men. But anyway, we went to Claridge's one day. And, As you uh, do. Yeah, yeah, well, she took me to afternoon tea. We, we had a few champagnes and a couple of cocktails. <laughs> and and uh, Andrea said, truly, Andrea said, you love London, why don't you make up the character that lives here? And absolutely truthfully, without barely a breath, I said, okay, it's a badger, he works in a hotel like this, he's a special events manager, he lives in a teapot house in Mayfair, and I'll invent a whole cast of characters for him. And I went home, and it all came out, and it's my first thing of actually writing, because I've never had ambitions to be a writer, but I loved writing, and it was because I'd been to London so many times and read, as a boy, all these books, and I'd walk miles around London. You know, I, I mean, I, I know how ugly it is in parts, but I adore it in a primal way. Um, 
uh, that it all came out. So my, I had a reference library in my head. I knew that if you go down here at Piccadilly and turn left there and go up here and there's this, you know. So it was wonderful because it just flowed. Well, that's an interesting... I love that, that story. That's an exhausting thing. No, so I, I love that story. I, I, but you've heard enough of that. No, <laughs> what comes first then? The character or the story? The character always comes. My books are character studies. Yeah. That's what some people... You know, you can, some people are fabulous with stories and want to write a story. I'm not really interested. Mm. I'm interested in exploring a character in a way that a kid can go on a journey and empathise and engage with that character in a way that they, they can project. And that's what some people and some critics, bless his heart, Morris Saxby knew right off. Mm. Um, kids, I love the idea that that's why the text always says something different. The, the text is from an adult's point of view and the picture is from something else. So that on each page, especially in the picture books, there are three meanings. What the picture says, what the text says, and what the kid projects. Right. Interprets. Yeah. And by doing that, it's like them fitting on a glove. You know, they can, you know, because some some uh, people might say, oh, we'll wait because I can explain this with Mr. Chicken. Oh, well, let's go straight on to I don't Mr. Chicken. Wore you out. No, you're not, wearing, you're not worrying us out at all. <laughs> I'm in a time I've Let's talk about Mr. Chicken oh, Mr. because Mr. Chicken oh. is our global, globe trotting, wonderfully warm. Wow, plush! How fantastic! This is the prototype. The, he comes out next month in a box, looks out the box, and it's a mini one of those. Fantastic. But he'll be a more, he'll be a lovely butter yellow, <laughs> so you can lick him. But, uh, yeah. So he's been all around the world. I think we've got a picture of him in Paris. We ha well, no. yes, we've got a lot of Mr. Chicken okay. coming up now. So. But I want to know, I, I would like to know, um, well, I hope everyone would like to know about Mr. Chicken and how he came about and how, was there was there a plan from the beginning Never to... Plan. to No plan. <laughs> Sorry, I was so no, 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 no plan to have a character that travelled the world. No. No? That just happened. I came up with the character with Horrible Harriet. Horrible Harriet needed a friend, so she made one. She bought a chicken and added some secret ingredients and there was an explosion, and he happened. And then I forgot about him and I went to Paris and I was in the bookshop in the Louvre and I had a little sketchbook and I thought, you know, if Mr Chicken came here, because, you know, Paris is so beautiful, this ridiculous looking character, in Paris, um, and I quickly did all these line drawings in, in the bookshop in the Louvre and back in Australia um, oh god oh. <laughs> sorry I'm not very it's high tech I'll turn it I don't know how to turn it off oh that's Andrew yeah. there we go yeah right <laughs> he's very popular um, oh no I, I anyway. uh, yeah so I, back in Australia I think I was still using fax machine 2008 or something, I sent a fax to Erica and it was simply a drawing of Mr Chicken with a few lines <coughs> on the Eiffel Tower and I said, I think I've got an idea for a book. Let's go forward a bit, Grant. I don't know whether you've got it. Oh, we've got See him at the Arc de Triomphe. Keep oh, going, right. keep going, Graeme. Yeah, you can go, go on a bit, Graeme. Oh no, oh, no back, I sorry. Know. I don't know what you've yeah, got. Yeah, back again. Yeah, yeah, go back. Um, so anyway, <laughs> was that a bit bossy? Sorry, Graeme. <laughs> You're worth throwing your voice before this. <laughs> Um, anyway, it was great because Erica looked at um, Erica looked at the, and rang up and said, "Let's do it. Let's forget about everything. Don't worry about the CBC or Yabba or whatever they call." Is someone in the CBC? Because I'm not seeing. <laughs> it's nervous now. No, I'm Probably not. half the room. Uh, no, but her point was with this book, Erica. That's why she's just fantastic. She's run with all my projects, all of them. You know, she's gone out on a limb, in fact. Um, she said, what we'll do with this book, we'll just do it. I've got a feeling he's a character that, you know. So we did this, did the end papers, and I put everything in it. And um, uh, when I went, and, and Bloomsbury, the English publisher, bought the rights. That was a great thrill. They bought the rights for Horrible Harriet and Mr Chicken and that. And anyway, I got this fabulous email from a bloke in Paris saying, dear Monsieur Hobbs, um, I can't wait any longer. I have 
managed a huge coup. Uh, you know, his English is a bit weak. Um, but I have, uh, the Louvre has bought your book and has sold a thousand copies in three weeks. Wow, really? And uh, so Mr. Chicken has stole, stole steadily, <laughs> sold steadily, crime, thank you, uh, sold steadily in the Louvre in Paris. Um, it's the only Australian book, you know, um, since 2009. And he was thrilled because, you know, to sell a book in the Louvre, they're pretty. Um, yeah, so that's been marvellous. Uh, Anyway, the point of telling you that is when I went back to the Louvre in 2011, you know, I went to the bookshop and there, I thought you might have had the photo, oh, there was a pile of Mr Chickens next to Madeline. Oh. And I've, I, read, I read Madeline as a child, no I didn't even read it because I never really got the story that much, but I loved the pictures because Ludwig Bemelmans uh, was a fine artist and I, I, I think of myself as an artist rather than a... Uh, well, I, 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 if I have to be categorised, I like, like to be categorised as an artist that does different things, including illustration. And Ludwig Bemelmans was like that too. Mm. Wonderful, loose mm. things. Glorious work. So that was a, a great thrill. So here he is. And in fact, the Mr Chicken books are about friendship. They're about how if you've got a friend, you don't care what your friends look like. And so that's what it was about. You know, they're two little, or not two little friends, two friends, she's showing in the city, and uh, I meant to bring it, but Anne's heard it. I got this wonderful uh, letter two, oh, a couple of Tuesdays ago. It was an email from Bally Home Primary School in Bangor, Northern Ireland, from Miss Ferguson, <laughs> saying how her kids love Mr Chicken and goes to Paris. They were using it to learn all about Paris and I had all these questions. You know, gorgeous little ones. They're all six, you know. Is Mr Chicken still friends with uh, a vet signed Maisie, age six? All these people. Then Miss Ferguson, age 30, asked, <laughs> where does Mr Chicken live? <laughs> the hardest question in the world. Anyway, I sent, I sent her a drawing. She should be getting it tomorrow. Now. All right. And a book. Right. And Lee, you love to travel. You know, it, travel is a very important part of who you are as a, as, you know, as a human being, as a grown-up, as, as an artist uh, who does different things. Mm. Um, and so this has been an extraordinary opportunity, really, hasn't it, to be able to write books that bring the world to children and for you to yes. travel. And, um, well, this is him in London. Yeah. And tell us about what comes next. Well, I just want to tell you about the London one first. The London one is a love story. It's about me in London. All the places he goes, though I've never been on that thing, but all the other places, like I love the National Gallery and that, that's him there. Um, apart from, you know, I've never been, in Buck never been to the Queens, I've been in Buckingham, Buckingham Palace. But all the places he goes are really where I go. So it is about the love of a place. So the whole idea that... Because a mate of mine over there that I spent a lot of time with said, you know, I walked past... Um, you know, Big Ben is in fact the bell, but let's call the clock Big Ben the other night. And when it's quarter past nine, I can imagine it turning into Mr Chicken's face. Mm -hmm. That's what, why he's there. Yeah. At quarter past nine, he goes up in and looks outside the clock and from outside it looks like Mr Chicken. And I realise that when I'm in London, I, abs I, I, I love the idea of feeling part of the fabric, feeling, in, feeling absolutely part of it. There's a, there's a church, I'm conscious of not yeah. talking too long, no, so we'll, should I stop? No, no, keep going, keep going. There's a church in London called St Martin in the Fields and one day I walked past and they were lifting up the steps, relaying the marble the Portland marble steps and I, I had the urge to run and plunge my hand into the soil because I thought that soil hasn't that seen there? the sunlight since 1741 mm. and I had went to a party and met a, 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 an Aboriginal woman from Arnhem Land and she said gee you know you seem speedy I said well I'm jet lagged where have you been and I told her about this experience and she hugged me and she said that's what it's about that's mm. how we feel. And I thought, mm. I don't feel such a dag now. No. Anyway, that's beautiful. A that's a beautiful story. Yeah, um, <laughs> <we're>, uh, <laughs> great story. 
Graeme, just... He's, he's laughing at my story. No, I want to talk about the next Mr oh, Chicken right. book that is coming up in September. Yes. Um, because we'll, we're going to come back to this and I'm going to ask Mike up to have a little chat about that. Yes. Um, here we go. How exciting. A new Mr Chicken book. Um, can you say it with an Italian Mr. accent? No, I can't. Say right. No, it's Mr Chicken Arriva Aroma. Mr Chicken Arrives in Rome. Yeah. And um, I went to Rome at the beginning. I can only do a... You know, the thing about Rome is I just love the architecture, you know, the Roman and the Baroque, because that's my passion. I'm an architectural enthusiast and history. And I love Rome, and I went there for uh, 11 days and filled a sketchbook. So here, I, I'll just read out the text on this page. You won't be able to see it. This is the frontest piece. But you'll understand the game that I'm playing with the kids. Even as a baby, Mr Chicken was different to other boys and girls. Instead of playing games, he dreamt about life in ancient Rome. Now he was a grown-up and off to Rome on his first ever visit. So, in fact, they don't have to articulate it, but the kids think, well, of course he was different. But what I'm doing is like a mock adult saying, well, in fact, he's not, not different in the way that an adult would think. You know, he's just like... So the only... Oh, here he is going across the... I love um, that. Piazza Venezia. <laughs> While I was in... Um, Rome, I met this fabulous woman, Federica DeVito, and uh, she took me round Rome, and I decided to use her as actually the way that Mr Chicken sees Rome. And it is a glorious place. I just loved it. I've been there before. So here he is arriving. So, buongiorno, Signor Polo, called Federica, recognising Mr Chicken straight away. <laughs> Welcome to Rome. You know, so... The text is droll in a way, you know. It's meant to be serious. No, it's not. Anyway, I'll read it because also I love the rhythm. I write these bearing in mind that a kid or a parent might read them. I'll be quick, don't worry. Or a librarian. Buongiorno, Signor Pollock, called, called Federica, recognising Mr Chicken straight away. Welcome to Rome. Climb aboard my Vespa, she said, and hold on to your hat. Mr Chicken did what he was told and off they went. His childhood dream was about to begin. So, these aren't in order, but I, I, you know, I didn't think about it, but I realised what I wanted to put in these drawings and into this book was my love of history. And without banging the kids over the head, I love the notion that kids might think, wow, what a, what a, I don't know why I like that, but that's amazing. These are the places, so like the Vatican, where she and Mr Chicken joined the crowd all waiting to see the Pope. However, Mr Chicken was hot and hungry, so here he is, Reading, uh, you know, everyone thinks he's looking at a tourist map, but in fact it's a gelati map of Rome, and he starts to be obsessed by gelati, as I was. I love that there is so much going on in each spread. Like, you could read this to s such different aged readers and get so s different things out of it each time. Well, this is different than all the other books, really, because I bit the bullet and thought I'm going to try and put my passion for history and architecture mm. in the book. So I don't know what's next. Oh, here he is. Yeah. So Federica <laughs> took him to the Trevi Fountain for a dip before lunch. <laughs> Soon Mr Chicken had a big decision to make. So here he is. And, of course, she's somewhere there. And, the, you know, once again, it says one thing and... Next, please. Oh, yeah. So after that, he, he eats lots of pasta. You know, he has tagliatelle. But this is uh, another part... Um, this is the mouth of truth, which I explain in the uh, end papers. Mr Chicken lined up his instructor, put a wing in the mouth of truth and waited. After all that sightseeing, he needed a nap, which would turn into a deep sleep. So what happens is he falls asleep and there's a dream sequence where he's back in ancient Rome. And he's woken up because a woman actually puts her hand in his mouth. Here. <laughs> and here, I, we thought you'd like a picture. Federica, pardon me, actually gets him to ride the motorbike or whatever it's called. Mr Chicken didn't know it yet, but Federica's family was having him for dinner. They don't eat him, he's the guest of honour. You looked a little bit panicky. Don't you freak. Right, these are the end papers. So these are all his um, selfies. And once again, I love the idea that... Because that, kids are... They love to learn. I put a word in one of the 4 for Freaks books, uh, xylophone. And I said to Erica, gee, maybe the kids won't know what it means and she said who cares they can look it up <laughs> and they'll never forget it 
And that's the thing. I think kids should stretch visually and... Uh, so anyway, so we've got Piazza del Popolo, the Vatican, all these places where it goes. So that's the end I think we're very excited about that. And um, I love the colour palette too. You know, oh, that there's, you. there's lots of the, um, the sketch um, kind of palette. And then when... And it just brings out Mr Chicken. We find Mr Chicken easily because he's that yellow he's splash of colour every, every, on every page. I, I think... I look, this isn't mother bashing, but I, I should tell you what she said about him, where I suddenly thought he could be my winner. I showed Mum, I did a drawing of Mr Chicken when I was working on poor Mum. Um, uh, Mr Chicken goes to Paris, and I went over, and this is the drawing, you know, and I said, what do you reckon, your Mum? What do you reckon, Mum? And she did this truly, I'm not exaggerating, she went, oh! <laughs> oh, oh no, you've gone too far with that one. You've never known when to stop. And I thought, I thought, this is, and this is what made me, this is one of the secrets, I think, why kids love him, and they do, because I've been in Paris this year, in London, they love him. It's because somehow, they can't express it, he's an affront to the adult world. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. He's an affront. Without being hurtful and scary, really, they imagine what it would be like if they brought him home for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, Graham, could we just go back to the Atlas slide, please? Because, um, Mike, do you want to come on up and, and we'll just talk a little bit about Atlas for just a couple of minutes? Because I want to ask you, Lee, what, what it's meant to you to be nominated as the, um, or appointed as the anointed, anointed one, the anointed as the one. laureate for the year, because that's a significant um, appointment, it's a significant commitment, and it's a very important, you have become a very important advocate for children's books. I love this calendar. We're in June. We're hear a story, see a story, and feel a story. And that was designed by a wonderful person, Judy Watson. Isn't that right, Anne? That's right. Yeah. It's a great idea. And one of the things I really love um, is that, you know, you, you're really advocating the importance of libraries in schools, libraries in, in public communities, and I think that's a brilliant message. But I'm going to hand over to Mike Shuttleworth now, who is going to talk to you a little bit about <coughs> ACLA. Um, I, I, I will just briefly. Hello. Uh, my name's Mike Shuttleworth. I'm the program manager for ACLA. Nice to meet you, IRL. Um, and one of the things I do is look after Lee's calendar. Uh, so he is undoubtedly the hardest working man in showbiz uh, this year and next year. Um, we've got a pretty busy series of events. Really between now and September, I reckon it's um, fairly intense. Uh, and the focus of that is... A <laughs> little lie down. Um, is events with uh, libraries. Next week we're off to Perth for the State Library of Western Australia. And then uh, the end of June, State Library of Queensland. And so there's workshops, talks for adults, teacher librarians, teachers. Yeah. Um, I, I, but I have a question for you, Lee, and I, I don't want to run away with it. Why were, why was libraries the, the primary goal for your your program, your project, as laureate? Um, what a great question to ask, because what, I had this fantastic uh, bit of good fortune last year where school after school I went to fantastic libraries, where the librarian was inspirational, had calibrated the needs of the students and the school to the library, they were completely proactive. The kids obviously adored them. They looked after kids that uh, didn't fit in, which I identified with all that. And uh, I was in, I, you can, I, I, you know, because I was a teacher for a quarter of a century, I could tell the difference in a school where the library was an integral part because the library was a safe haven. This woman here, this woman here, Lisa, was, um, is one of the, and, now, but, but I, 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 Ruth, Ruth here, sorry to embarrass you, but Ruth, Ruth at Q Primary, um, sorry Ruth, but I had to do that. Um, it just so happened that um, a couple of days after I went to Ruth's school, I was on the radio in some program, I can't remember which one, and it was fantastic because I was able to mention a few libraries and librarians by name. 
And uh, the thing is that um, I just think that um, live too many people think that because of the IT and computers and things, you don't need libraries. But um, I think otherwise. Mm -hmm. Sorry to make it long-winded like that. No, that's good. Can I just say one other thing? I really do believe, and this came from visiting these terrific schools, that the library seems to be one place where kids can read and dream and draw and study without the pressure of assessment or ranking. Um, the, the berserk bureaucratic um, mania for marking and assessment drives me bonkers. And I love the idea that you have a library where the kids can come in and they're not necessarily competing. Now I'm starting to sound a bit evangelistic, but you know, I think you know that there's a grain of something in there. Well, I think we have, we've, I mean, we've had some amazing laureates so far and Lee, we're very, very pleased and proud of you as our Children's Laureate over the next couple of years. Um, I would like to take a moment now to thank Lee for coming uh, over tonight. You do have an extraordinary, extraordinarily busy schedule, Lee, and we're very, very grateful for you coming over tonight. Thank so thank you very much. Thank you.